Father God, I pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear your word. God, that we could understand this story, this narrative, as you have intended. That we would understand it. Holy Spirit, give us understanding of your word. Uh, that it would move in us, that it would uh, convict us, that it would transform us. That it would make us something new this morning. That we would not walk out the same. But God, we come this morning uh, as we're going to study to worship you. We want to worship you. We want to fear you. We want to stand in awe of you. I pray that you would give us attitudes of humility and a willingness now to just kneel before you, kneel before your word, and allow it to work in our lives. Lord, change us and transform us individually and also as a body, as a family. I pray that you would do that supernatural work this morning, God. This would not just be something else that we're doing. It would not just be the regular routine, Father. But as your children, we get to hear your word. Thank you for that privilege. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue in this unique narrative of Jonah. Uh, which Jonah is a religious prophet that, if you remember, in, in sin, is running away from a relationship with God. Uh, running away from intimacy and interaction with God. He literally is headed on a ship to Tarshish in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, which is where God had told him to go. And so he's running away from God, running away in disobedience, but in grace, in grace, God is pursuing him in a storm. And so the last time our focus was on chapter 1, verse 9. Those are the first words that Jonah actually speaks in this story. And as we considered his words, we began to see Jonah's hypocrisy. It became clear to us. He made three claims when he spoke. He claimed who God was, that he was the God of heaven, the God who had created the land and the sea. That's true. He claimed who he was, that he was a Hebrew, one of the chosen people of God. That was true. But then he claimed, made a claim about his relationship with God. He says, I worship the Lord. I fear the Lord. I serve the Lord. I'm in awe of the Lord. Not true. That's his hypocrisy. He's saying these things that are true about God and true about Him, but in the middle, he's claiming to worship God, but he's running away from God. He's a hypocrite. And again, can we see ourselves in Jonah? 
It's clear to us when we read about Jonah, but can we just as clearly see the hypocrisy that's demonstrated in our lives as we claim who we are and who we are following, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. But what in our lives demonstrates and shows something different? We can have right theology about ourselves and right theology about Jesus, but does our claim to follow Him demonstrate in our lives? We have to ask ourselves that question. We need to be open to consider that. And I think this is a significant part of the chapter and of the story. Because here in verse 9, the word worship, it's also used other times in this first chapter. But we don't recognize it because in our English and Spanish translations, they use different words. Okay, It's the same original word, the same word that was there that the original author used, but as it's translated for understanding, it's changed. But the word is the same in the original text. And what we studied last week, Jonah uses that word in verse 9 to describe himself. I worship God. I fear God is a more literal translation of that word. But the narrator uses this word multiple times to describe not the religious prophet Jonah but the non-religious sailors. In verse 5 he says that the sailors, these non-religious sailors, they were fearing for their lives. Same word. In the middle of the storm they were fearful. They were fearing for their lives. Okay? Same word. In verse 10, after they had heard from Jonah and realized that it was Jonah that was running from God, it says they became terrified. Same word that Jonah uses in verse 9. And then in verse 16, at the end of this chapter, it says they, the un, the non-religious sailors, were awestruck. They were overwhelmed with fear. The same word that Jonah uses for himself. Now, I want to ask you, if you're writing this story, and do you think that it's intentional that the author would take this word that Jonah uses to describe himself, and then take that same word, and then multiple times throughout the story, use it to describe the non-religious sailors. These pagans. These ungodly, unrighteous men on the ship. It is intentional. Okay, we, we can't overlook that. In literature, this is called irony. The author contrasts between the expectations that we have for a situation or a people and what the reality actually is. The reality of these sailors is the opposite of what we would expect. They're non-religious sailors, but as we walk through the story, they began to act religiously. They began to act in a way that Jonah proclaimed to act, and where we saw his hypocrisy. 
That's fascinating. That's incredible. There's something there for us that we need to understand because Jonah and the sailors were on the same ship. It was because of Jonah, but they were in the same situation, experiencing the same storm. Jonah, the religious prophet, and the sailor, the non-religious sailors, in the same situation, the same storm. And the responses are very different. And they're the opposite of what we would expect. The religious prophet Jonah claims to fear God. But the non-religious sailors, as we move through this chapter, actually demonstrate fear and will ultimately worship God. They'll ultimately worship the Lord. That's upside down. That's backwards. That's not what we'd expect. And there's intention there that it would point to us, that we would get something from that. There's, there's meaning, there's intention, there's purpose. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. What's the point that the author is making? And that we would not miss this. So we're going to be in verse 11 through verse 16 of chapter 1. We're going to continue. And we're going to consider the actions and then the ultimate response of these non-religious sailors in the middle of the storm and how their response compares with this religious, hypocritical prophet Jonah. As we do this, we're going to see Jonah's hypocrisy further. And as we do this, we should see our hypocrisy further. That's the point. That we would continue to see ourselves in Jonah. And as we see these sailors, these non-religious sailors, act in a way opposite of what we expect, it should point to us. Because we can see ourselves in Jonah. So remember the sailors. Back to verse 5. They were fearing for their lives because they were in the middle of this storm as God was pursuing Jonah on this ship. They were all praying to their own gods, each to their own gods. They were all up on deck praying. They were throwing cargo overboard. And at the same time, Jonah was asleep. Jonah had sedated himself. He was below deck. He was avoiding any, any interaction with anyone. And then the captain goes down and brings Jonah up. The captain encourages Jonah, you pray to your God. And nothing is happening. Nothing is changing. They cast lots to identify who is it that is the cause of the storm. And it points to Jonah. And they ask Jonah questions. And then Jonah makes this statement in verse 9 and identifies himself, identifies God, and identifies his relationship with God. And after hearing that, knowing that they were running, that he was running from God, they were terrified. These sailors were terrified of Jonah's God. They were terrified in the middle of the situation. As they hear from Jonah, they actually began to be terrified of the Lord, of Jonah's God. They're fearful, fearful of him. And so they began to act further. They began to take further steps. 
toman más pasos. Let's see those actions in verse 11. I'll read verse 11 through 13 in English and then Nidia in Spanish. Everybody with me? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, asked Jonah, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Now it appears that Jonah begins to think about someone other than himself. It looks like he's going to consider the sailors. And he says, take my life to save your lives. But then... What do the sailors do in response? They ignore his direction and they begin trying to return the ship to land. Never before in the story does the narrator describe that they had tried to return to land, but they hear from Jonah, they confirm it's him, and then he says, throw me overboard and this storm will stop. And they say, nope, now we're going to try and row back to land. Why? Why? Anybody? Why would they do that? They didn't want to kill him. They feared they were beginning to fear God. Tim says they hadn't, he hadn't paid them. <laughs> what did they just heard from Jonah? They just heard that he was running away from his God. That God had told him to go to Nineveh and he was on a ship in the opposite direction to Tarshish. You're running away from the face of your God and God is sending this storm. If you're running away from God and this storm has occurred, what should you do? You should go back to God. Right? We should turn this ship around. You should get back on the land and you should go to Nineveh. That's what God told you to do. And you are refusing and you are running. And now this storm is after all of us. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of repentance. That, that Jonah was running away from God in disobedience and these sailors can see you need to go back to God and do what he said we're not going to throw you in the sea we're not going to throw you in the ocean to your death but Jonah was not at a place of repentance not yet Repentance is not jumping off the ship. Repentance is returning to God and being obedient. And he wasn't ready to be repentant. He had an alternative plan. God told me this and now, but I have my own plan. I'm going to adjust my plan in my sin as I'm running away from God. I see that this is damaging to others around me. I'm going to adjust the plan, my alternative plan, but it's still my plan and not God's plan. 
I'll do something different that doesn't look as bad, and it may even look righteous that I would give of myself and my life to save you, but I still won't do what God told me to do. I refuse to go to Nineveh. I refuse to preach to the Ninevites because I know that God will be compassionate on them, and I would rather die than go there. He negotiates a different plan. He still maintains authority over his own life. I refuse to submit to God's direction. He's even willing to sacrifice and lose his life as long as it's on his own terms. Not God's terms, my terms. I'm in control, not God. Do you see that? Does that make sense? What are our alternative plans? God has told us. God has directed us. God is leading us. But we say, nope. I won't do it. I won't do that, God. I'll do this, God. And we began to negotiate with God some off alternate plan, some alternate way, God. I know you have told me this in this relationship or in this situation or in this decision, but, but you know what? I, I don't fully, I'm not fully on board, so I'm going to go here with my idea, with my plan. And it's not a bad plan. It's not a sinful plan. It doesn't, you know, it actually might look good and look righteous on the outside, but I know in my heart it's not what God told me. Does that sound familiar to anyone? An experience in your life? It's an experience in my life. I, I feel convicted and I'm like, I guess I've got to speak this, but I'm speaking this to myself because as I read this and studied this, I was convicted. I was preaching to myself. I do this all the time. All the time. And the way that I do it, as I have considered it and thought about it, is that I do what God has told me to do. I'm going to do it, but I don't do it with a good attitude. I'm like that kid. Okay, I'll do it. But I'm not going to do it with a smile on my face. And you're going to know that I don't want to do it. And I'm going to complain about doing it. Oh, and I'll serve those people, but I'm going to be frustrated with them. And a little bit angry with them after I've served them and all that I've given them and how it's been a difficulty for me and a sacrifice for me, and, but I'm going to do it. And I might even put on a fake smile as I do it. I might do what God is asking, but my attitude is far from it. As we sang that song, uh, further along it talks about once we would experience God right that he he's loose he's, he's jumping like a calf like this newborn calf from a stall he's loose and he has this freedom and whatever God wants and I'm uh, we're, we're continuing on we're walking with God well I'm there but I'm like a mule an ass stubborn I'll do this, but I'm going to resist, and I'm going to be frustrated and complain and have an attitude. That's how I do it. And yes, I just said I'm an ass. Okay? And many of you are asses. 
Okay. It's the same word for a mule. It's in the Bible. Ass. Okay. That's what we are. We're stubborn. The Israelites were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. We're stubborn. I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. And then we rob the experience of God and we create disaster for those around us. So either you just refuse to do it you come up with something else or I'll do it but I'll do it with a bad attitude. What are your alternate plans for your life that you're trying to establish for your life? Not what God has for you, but what you have for you. Are you following Jesus through sacrifice to the cross? Or are you trying to negotiate a different path? A different way? We must return to Him and obey. We must follow Him, not on our terms, but on His terms. But as we saw in verse 13, despite their efforts, it says in the second part of verse 13, the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. So they tried to assist Jonah in this repentance and this return towards God, but the sea was too much. The storm was too much. They couldn't turn the ship. They couldn't turn Jonah in the right direction. And so Jonah refusing to return, Jonah saying, just, just kill me, just throw me overboard. Then these non-religious sailors decide to pursue Jonah's God themselves. Right? They were fearful in the situation. They, they began to fear Jonah's God. Jonah won't return. The religious prophet won't do what God has asked. So the non-religious say, all right, we're going to pursue your God. We're going to approach your God. This is not what we'd expect. This is ironic. And I want you to see what they do in verse 14 and 15. Then they cried out. These are the sailors. The non-religious sailors. They cried out to the Lord. And this is Lord all caps, as in Yahweh, the personal, relational God of Israel. Not some far off God, but Yahweh. And they cry out to Yahweh. They cry to the Lord, Jonah's God. And look what they say. They say, oh Lord. They pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin. No. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, they address him again. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea. They cry out. They cry out to God. 
these non-religious sailors. They began to plead with God. They are interacting with God in a very personal, in a very intimate way. They're pleading before Him. They're humble before Him. They're begging Him. These non-religious sailors. Remember Jonah, back in verse 6, when the captain goes down and says, you've got to get up and cry out to your God. Does it say that Jonah cries out? The author doesn't tell us. It sure doesn't seem so. And then here, because Jonah wouldn't, here are the non-religious sailors crying out and pleading to Jonah's God, approaching him in intimacy, in interaction with him, which is a relationship with him. Right? Jonah's running away from God. They're running to God. Do you guys see this? This is fascinating. This is not something to just read through and skip over and not consider. And then the sailors acknowledge God's identity. They say, you have sent this storm upon Him for your own good reasons. Like, we don't understand. We don't pretend to understand you, God. But we're submitting to your authority. You're doing this for your reasons. We're going to trust you. And now the only option we have is to do what he's asking us to do. And so in faith, we're going to trust you, God, and we're going to throw him overboard. And the storm... The non-religious seek and pursue and trust God while the religious, Jonah, resist God. This is supposed to apply to us. This applies to me. I want you to stop and consider how it applies to you. How are you? If you're in this room, you're religious, and how are you resisting God in the middle of some storm? Either a storm that you've come out of, a storm that you're in, or a storm that you're going to head into. Consider how it is that you resist and refuse God in the middle of the storm. Just, just go up to the deck. Just cry out to God. Just plead to Him. And maybe He'll hear us and He'll consider us. That's what the captain said. But we remove ourselves and we avoid God and we resist. I won't humble myself. I won't cry out. For me, I am self-sufficient. I can acknowledge who God is, but I will take care of this myself. And many times, I got myself into this situation, I'm going to get myself out of this situation. And that's how I tend to resist or refuse God. In a storm or in these situations that are difficult. And as I thought about this for myself, I feel like the last, more than, but specifically the last 30 days in my house has been a storm. As kids have gone, as kids have come back, 
have kids are confused, kids don't trust us, kids are uh, don't know who to believe, who to love, where they're going to sleep the next night, how they're going to transition, and they're, they're, they're going crazy, and the behavior is difficult, and things are hard in my house, and all I'm trying to do, and all that Nidia is trying to do, is get through our day, and make it to 8.30, and hope that they don't come back out of the rooms, and so that we can take a break, and rest, and sleep. To start the next morning at 6 o'clock when they start coming out of the rooms. And we manage the chaos. Now I don't need to get specific because in some ways that's each of our days. We're managing this chaos. But when I get to 8.30 what should I do in that moment? And what should I do specifically to prepare for the next day? For the storm that's going to return? I should cry out. I should plead to God. I should be on my knees in humility. Begging for His help. Begging for Him to show up. Begging for Him to give me and my wife and our family strength to continue to the next day but I confess to you repeated times multiple times I would say most times I feel like no I, I got through that I'm here and it's finally where I can choose to do what I want to do and so I would rather enjoy something to eat I'd rather uh, enjoy something a show or just something to, to, to numb my mind to remove myself from the situation anything to escape anything not to think about that I don't want to think about it and actually go to God and pray about it I just walk through it from 6 in the morning to 8.30 at night I, I'm done with that and as I do that, and I refuse again and again, day after day, in the middle of the storm, to go to God and beg Him and plead with Him and cry out to Him, just like Jonah, it results in disaster for those around me. I hurt and damage those around me because I refuse to go to God and cry out to Him in the middle of the storm. I have spoken to my wife in ways in the last month that I can't explain. Rude, mean, disgusting, ugly, selfish. And I feel justified at times. I have treated my children. Uh, something happened in our house. Something was broken the other night. And I lost it. Because I'm falling apart and I refuse to go to God. I refuse to cry out. And it's, and it's hurting those around me. I've done that with people in the church. I've done that this past week with our neighbors. Where I lost my temper. I did not hold myself and speak as I should have. And as I prayed about it, and as I went to the Lord, it's like, because I'm not going to Him. I'm in the middle of this storm and I refuse and I resist and my sin, running away from God, is causing problems and disaster in all of the lives around me. In my wife, in my children, in my church family, even with my neighbors. Because I refuse. I resist to cry out to God. Self-sufficiency 
our own plan, our own way, in our own strength, is a clear symptom of hypocrisy. There is hypocrisy in my life that I am begging God to change. That I would humble myself and that I would cry out and seek Him and beg Him for His help and for His presence. In what current situation in what decision in what relationship do you need to stop resisting stop refusing and cry out to God and plead to him about that situation and plead to him about that relationship plead to him about that decision and if you don't know that you are damaging those around you. The sailors had done nothing. Jonah and his refusal and his running away from God brought this storm upon them. It says it directly in the passage. This came upon us because of you. Jonah agrees. It's my fault that you're going through this storm. Jonah sinned and it causes damage to everyone around him. We sin, we refuse, we resist God, we run from Him. It causes damage to each and every one around us. We have to get over ourselves and go to God. And so as we finish, I don't want us to miss what the narrator communicates is the sailor's ultimate response. Because it's ironic, of course. It's not what we'd expect in this situation. Remember, Jonah has professed to fear and worship the Lord, but at this point in the story, as we get to the very end, it's where these non-religious sailors actually fear and worship the Lord. After throwing Jonah into the sea, what occurs? The storm stopped at once. They seek God, they pursue God, they act in obedience, and the storm stops. And it says in verse 16, the sailors were, in my translation, awestruck. Same word, fear. They were terrified, overwhelmed with fear by the Lord's great power and they offered Him a sacrifice and vowed to serve Him. In verse 5, they feared for their lives. In verse 10, they were fearful of God's, of Jonah's God. And then here, their fear increases throughout the story. It becomes greater and greater fear. But their fear was greatest. They were awestruck. They were overwhelmed by fear. Not in the middle of the storm. But when the storm stops. There's chaos. Their lives are in danger. They're terrified. And then the storm stops and their fear 
increases. Because of their personal interaction and experience of the Lord's power and grace, they were more fearful. They pursued Him and God had paid attention to them and spared their lives. The exact same, the exact same thing that the captain said, please Jonah, get up and, and approach your God with intimacy and interaction with your God and maybe He will recognize us and spare our lives. And now the sailors do this themselves and God calms the sea. Their fear goes up because He has recognized them, noticed them, and He has spared their lives. They've experienced His power directly and they worship Him. They're in complete fear of Him. An awestruck fear. Not a, I'm running from you fear, but a, you are amazing fear. Let me bow down. Let me worship you fear. Because you're a God who is that powerful. You're the God of heaven. You're the God who created the land and the sea. And yet, you have recognized me and you have spared my life. You have allowed me to approach you, to plead to you, to cry out to you. And you've heard me and you've responded. And now, I am actually, truly, absolutely in fear of you. I will worship you. I'll serve you. And it says they make vows. They make vows to serve Him and they sacrifice on behalf of Yahweh. I want us to be awestruck, to be awestruck by God, by the Lord's power, for, for living stones, to be awestruck, amazed, overwhelmed, in fear of the grace of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to serve you. I'm going to submit to you. I am in fear of you in an amazing, wonderful, powerful, positive fear of you. Because you've recognized me and you've saved my life and that you allow me to approach you in intimacy and interaction. Why would I run from you? Why would I claim to worship you and not be awestruck before you to actually worship you? The only reason is that we'd be hypocrites. We have to cry out and plead to Him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us to see ourselves in this story. That you would help us to receive what you have shared through this story and the way that you have shared it to point to Jonah and therefore point to us and that we would recognize ourselves and we would recognize our tendencies and our similarities with Him. And God, I pray that we, that Living Stones, would never be religious hypocrites who just profess to worship You. 
God, help us. I pray that we would never negotiate a different direction than what you have called us to, but that we would hear from you and we would obey you and we would trust you and we would know that you have reasons for what you are doing even in the middle of a storm. And Lord, I pray that we as living stones would never resist you. That we would not refuse to cry out and to plead to you. That we would recognize who you are and who we are and we would act accordingly and get on our knees and humble ourselves and beg you to help us, beg you to change us, beg you to transform us. Take this hypocrisy from us that we would not have our own plans that we would not seek to be self-sufficient but we would be completely awestruck by you because you have recognized us you have come to us and you have served us and sacrificed for us and given yourself for us may that move us to real, authentic, true worship God as we follow you Jesus May we humbly follow you. May we freely give our lives. And may we freely serve you as you have served us. Please, God. Please, Lord. We cannot do that. You have to do that in us. Please, God. We beg you, Lord. Holy Spirit, move this morning. Move in us. Move in this body. Let us not remain the same. Let our lives reflect what we know to be true. What we profess to be true. Please, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.